Bible today, let's open up to the book of Jude, chapter 2. I'm just joking. Jude chapter 1, and this has been a kind of a tough book. It's, a, it's such a great book warning us, you know, to stay on track. And so up to this point, we've pretty much been talking about all the, the bad things going on in the church, because the bottom line is Jude wrote this letter because he wanted to warn the church that certain men had crept into the church unnoticed. When you couple it with Second Peter chapter 2, what you find is that these men were false teachers. They were heading towards judgment, and they were trying to take others with them. And so Peter says, uh, don't follow them, because if you follow them, you follow them to judgment. And so, you know, us, I thank God for our church. We have a, a beautiful church for the most part. I would probably say, you know, that you guys are, are on track. But you never know. There might be one person in here or, or another right there. Or one day you might be in a little woman's study or men's study or whatever, and someone creeps in that, you know, God will show you they're off. They're off, and they're trying to take you off. That, that can happen in our church. It can happen in the church as a whole. I mean, you've got Christian musicians that are off, so-called Christian musicians. You've got a lot of uh, things that you might hear on the radio. Those guys who say they're Christians are not, sometimes gals. You've got people in the bookstores, and you've got people on the Internet. And so just basically saying, be careful. The only way to really detect counterfeit is to know the genuine. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but, but there's a lot of counterfeit currency in the United States of America. According to the Department of Treasury, there's an estimated $70 million uh, of counterfeit currency in circulation. Some say maybe even $200 million. That's why every time I go to Chick-fil-A and I whip out my Ben Franklin, they, you know, they highlight it. No, I'm just joking. I don't have any of those Ben Franklins. But, you know, they check your $100 bill. Why? Because there's so much counterfeits out there, counterfeit currency, and, you know, not trying to freak you out, not trying to scare you beyond a measurable doubt, but the bottom line is there's people in the church that are not right, and that's why it's important that you know your Bible. You can test everything I say. You can test everything anyone says when you know the Word of God. And so that's what Jude is, is warning them about, these imposters. We're going to see today, number one, a description of imposters. Then number two, their manipulation for position. And then number three, the proclamation of their punishment. You know, one of the things you'll see when you read Second Peter and Jude, you'll see is that these guys wrote and they said, you know, God knows how to deliver the, un, the godly out of temptation, but he also knows how to deliver the the ungodly to punishment. And so, you know, this is where we need to really look to the Lord. These guys, uh, we're going to see, they're in big trouble. And, and you'll see them coming to the church. You know, these guys that are there for the wrong reason. As a pastor, as a leader, we are called to serve. We are called to lay down our life. We are called to sacrifice we are not here to get. We are here to give. And that's what uh, I think a lot of times in the church, sometimes people, they get the misconception and the mentality. Sometimes in the world, it creeps into the church and you're gonna, you know, the guy becomes the, 
you know, the president of the company and he makes, you know, a billion dollars while everyone else is making, you know, peanuts. And he's, he's there, you know, uh, not doing anything. And, and sometimes that can creep into the church when in all reality, the, the whatever, however you want to describe it, the higher up you are in ministry, whatever higher up means, the more you're called to serve, the more you're called to sacrifice, the more you're called to give, not get. That's why it's so nauseating to see these guys that are filthy rich in the church and they're living off the donations of these people with good intentions. They're giving sometimes these widows on fixed incomes and they've got their Bentleys. They've got their you know $3,000 suits. They've got their mansions. They've got their private jet planes or whatever. And, and that's not right. And, and it doesn't, it's always a large scale like that. Sometimes it's a smaller scale. It's just a guy who wants a position. And so all we're saying is, you know, you be careful. You stay on track, you guys. We love you. We have, it's already scheduled, Garden of Asada reunion in heaven. We're going to be there, man. The salsa is going to be so good. Yesterday I had homemade tortillas. Oh, man, the bomb. They're, imagine what they're going to be like. In heaven. So, so don't go sideways. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep coming to church. You're like, well, there's no perfect church. Yeah, but you got to go. And then when you go, you help it. You see any flaws here in this church? Tell you what, help us in that. Here we see Jude. And he describes these imposters. An imposter is someone who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others, especially for gain. And notice the pictures he paints, beginning in verse 12. He says, These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And so here he he paints some pictures. Uh, First thing we see there in verse 12 is they're described as spots in your love feasts. Spots or blemishes in your love feasts. And I still get them every once in a while, but don't you hate it when you get a pimple or something, a blemish says, this is what these guys are. And they're, they're blemishes in our love feast. Now, the love feast of the New Testament is an interesting uh, concept. It would be the modern equivalent of our potluck. How many of you guys here like potlucks? Those of you who have gone to the marriage fellowship, oh, man, our church is known for their potlucks. And some of the other ones are pretty good. But, you know, we got uh, one gentleman, he makes uh, um, the... What are they called? The sushi roll? Well, it's probably not real sushi, but California rolls. Um, we got um, the chile verde. I think of the carrot cake. I mean, just on and on. You know, all this food it just kind of makes me hungry, man. You know, and, and that was what they would do. Now, in those days, they would actually have the rich and the poor, the slaves. There were a gazillion slaves in the church. And so this would be the only uh, good meal they had all week long. 
And so you got the rich people and the poor people, they're bringing their food. And Paul talked about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 11. He says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it isn't not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And so what was going on is like they, they would actually, they were fighting over the food. I don't know if you guys know how serious food is. When it comes to food, we don't mess around, huh? Or like, man, they got the filet mignon, and I'm going to go first because, you know, I want to I eat, eat it for myself. You know, when, when Eli had his sons and the people would bring sacrifices to the tabernacle, his sons would go in and they would take a fork and they would take all the good meat for themselves. And, and, and Pastor Chuck is interesting. He was talking about how in the early days of the Calvary Chapel movement, how they had, they literally they had what's called steak fries. Now, when I first heard of steak fries, I thought of fries, like French fries. And then he said, no, they're steaks. They're literally frying steaks. They would go up to Irvine Park, and they would actually, the church would supply the charcoal, and they would have steak fries. And so you had all these people, some of them having some money, but then you had all the hippies. Now, the hippies in those days, in the early days of the Cary Chapel, they were living in these commune houses. They didn't have money. They bought cans of beans, and you know what they would do? They would go to all the different supermarkets, and they would take the leftover produce, the, you know, the romaine lettuce that was cut up or stuff like that. And so the hippies would bring their beans and lettuce, and the other people, he said, Pastor Chuck said, would bring the steaks. And so he said that when the hippies would go, they would, you know, go take all the steaks first, you know, because that was the only decent meal they had. But the cool thing about it, it was so beautiful, is that the richer, richer people, they didn't mind. They didn't mind. Why? Because it was a love feast. That's the whole point of it. But what was going on here is these guys were spots. They were blemishes in the love feast and that they were taking everything for themselves. And that's why they were spots in the love feast. They were like Judas at the Last Supper. I mean, just something's out of place here. Something doesn't belong here. This is a church of love. Why do you got to start stuff like that? Why do you have to have that attitude here? You know, it's interesting that the Greek word translated spots can also be translated rocks. And what these were was that these were rocks that would be under the sea. And I guess the, the Greek word can also mean hidden rocks. And so if someone was sailing in the ocean, then the mariner would quickly ruin his ship because they're just right underneath the surface. And so, you know, what he's talking about right here is that these guys would get the best, they would gorge themselves, and it clashed against the very idea of agape love. And so the first point here is that these fellows were disgracefully in it only for themselves. And like I said earlier, in Second Peter chapter 2, they're called teachers, and so it's the antithesis of what a shepherd should really be. Warren Worsby said this, These selfish shepherds do all of this without fear. They are an arrogant lot. This is the difference between a true shepherd and a hireling. The true shepherd cares for the sheep, while the hireling cares only for himself. 
Ezekiel 34 in verse 2 is a good cross-reference. It says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? And so they were doing this without fear. And, and, and you know, Judah's saying, you should be afraid. You know, because if you're in it, because you're a hireling, if you're in it because you just want the money, then you're going to be judged. He says, that's not, that's not why we're there. So the first picture is these spots. The second one are these clouds. Look at verse 12. It says, they are, they are clouds without water carried about by the, the winds. And so, um, you know, they promise rain, you know. I mean, these uh, would be farmers that would need the rain. They see the clouds coming. You know, you guys ever see the dark clouds and you guys are like, whoa, that, that's rain, rain's coming? It's kind of like that. They, they, number one, are loveless. And number two, are helpless. You know, these farmers, they needed help. Um, they needed the rain. There's the clouds. It's kind of promising something, but they can't deliver. They can't help you. Uh, this is who these guys were. They profit no one in any way. Clouds without water in that sense that they keep all the rain, so to speak, for themselves. You know, they promise rain but fail to produce. And it's a disappointment to the farmer who needs that water desperately. You know, Peter comments on it in 2 Peter 2.19. He says, well, they promise them liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. And so they're saying, hey, you know, let me be the pastor. Hey, let me be the teacher. Hey, let me be the leader. And if you follow me, I'll give you liberty. If you follow me, I'll help you out. When in all reality, they can't help you out because they themselves are in bondage. And remember this, that you can never lead anyone farther than, than you've gone. And so here are these guys, their spots in the love feast, their, their clouds without water, and it's interesting to me, notice again what it says in verse 12, there are clouds without water carried about by the winds. You know, when I read that, I thought immediately of Ephesians 4, verse 14, where the Bible says we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. There's a doctrine out there, you guys will see it, you know, someone like a Benny Hinn or a Creflo Dollar or or Kenneth Copeland, uh, sometimes even there's a soft spot. You'll see a soft uh, aspect of this with a Joel Osteen or a Joyce Myers. Um, and they'll, they'll tell you that if you're a Christian, then you're promised to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And if you don't, if you're not healthy, then you don't have enough faith. If you're not wealthy, then you're not naming it and claiming it. You know, you got to blab it and grab it. That's what they say if you're a Christian, right? And that, and that this wind of doctrine has, has crept into the church. You know, and they might look at you and something bad and you're sick and they think that you're in sin, just like Job's friends. You know, Job's friend came to him and the reason why you're all messed up is because you're in sin. When in all reality, he was blameless and upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. You know, all oh, that calamity happened to you and your kids or whatever the case may be is probably because you're in sin. No, it's not because you're in sin. It's not because you're doing anything wrong. It might even be because you're doing something right. But these winds of doctrines, 
that enter into the church sometimes. You know, be careful of the, the weird things that are out there, man. you got people sometimes in the church, and they're so caught up in some emotional experience. And, and I'll tell you what, this is why a lot of times people, they'll go to these homes or they'll go to these churches, and they don't go the long haul. A lot of times it's because they're just looking for an emotional experience, and it's like a getting a high. And so next time you have to have a little more to get higher. And it's all about experience. For us, it's not about getting higher in that sense. It's about getting deeper. It's about understanding the Word of God because when you understand the Word of God, you'll get rooted and grounded. And you'll go the long haul. But these guys, they're carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know, it's interesting that water and wind are both symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And these guys didn't have that. Number one, they're loveless. Number two, they're... Um, they're lifeless, and I'm sorry, number two, they're helpless, and then number three, they're, they're lifeless. We see in verse 12, they, they're, they're clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. And so the late autumn trees, these are the trees that are supposed to have fruit, you know, the picture is that of an orchard in an autumn time when the farmer expects fruit. But these trees are rootless. They're fruitless. They're twice dead. And so you're going to see, and it's interesting how much you can get out of this. You know, what did Jesus say in Matthew 7 and verse 16? He says, you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? And so how do you identify a, a false teacher? Well, if he's not teaching the word, that's definitely you know, something that we can immediately say that's, they're not of the Lord. But another thing is that they don't have the, the, any fruit. Uh, the, we call it the moral fruit. Like when you get to know them, there's no real genuine love. There's no real genuine humility. There's no real, real, real genuineness about them at all. I mean, they don't have the fruit of the Spirit described in the book of Galatians chapter 5. The character isn't there. Number one, it's not. there's no fruit of, 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 of morality. And then sometimes there's also no fruit of ministry. And sometimes we can see this, although not always. But you know, when the Lord's doing a work, you'll see it. You'll see people coming to the Lord. You'll see lives change. You'll see God providing. And so these guys were twice dead, no moral fruit, nor ministry fruit. And it's interesting because being twice dead, you know, number one, they had no fruit. And then number two, you can picture that tree pulled up out of the ground and it'll never produce fruit. And so some people will even say it this way because, you know, when we sin, we are dead in our sins and again, you have to read Second Peter because it goes hand in hand. Peter says they're coming. Jude says they're here. Peter says that they once knew the truth, and now they don't. And some people say that, that that's why he's saying they're twice dead. Because not only were they born in sin, they got you know, the knowledge of the Lord, but then they went backwards and they died again. Now, another thing to think about is when you're a Christian, if you're born twice, you only die once. 
But if you're not born twice, if you're only born once, then you die twice. You die in your sins. Now you're separated from God. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll die when you stand before him and you'll perish. And so these guys, you know, the the picture is not pretty. The next one he mentions there in verse 12, these waves of the sea. Notice again, I'm sorry, verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. And so the the picture here is the, the, the waves just kind of rolling in and they're bringing in a whole bunch of garbage. Have you ever walked along the beach the morning after a storm and maybe saw the ugly trash that was deposited there on the shore? That's what these guys are doing. Isaiah 57, 20 talks about that. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. And then the next thing he calls them is, is wandering stars. Verse 13, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And so how many of you guys, uh, you know, you go sailing and uh, you're out there in the, in the night and like uh, Moana, you're, you're looking at the stars and you're like, yeah, I have to go that way, right? <laughs> I wish I knew how all the nautical things worked, but you know, you look up at the stars and, and now you know which way's north. I mean, you know, you're guided by these stars, so to speak, in that sense. And what these guys are wandering stars, they were off course, the very ones who are supposed to lead you in righteousness, the very ones supposed to, you know, let's say, hey, let's go to heaven, man, we're on this road to heaven. They were the ones that were leading people off course. Kind of like, oh, I shouldn't even bring it up, but sometimes you go through these processions and, uh, and, they, and they don't know how to guide you, and I had to go a different way because they went the wrong way, man. And uh, that can happen, huh? You know, stars are lights by which seamen are able to navigate. Due to their fixed positions in the skies, stars can be depended on to guide the traveler through the darkness. But wandering stars only lead them astray. And so I just want to encourage you, who are you listening to? Who, what, what, what books are you reading? You know, with the church, you know, because you probably won't always be here in the church. One day you might move to that city over there. What's, what church will you attend? Will they really teach you the Bible? Will they really open it up and go line upon line, precept upon precept? Or will they give you their own words? No, I, I pray that we would not be led astray by these guys because notice again, it's the, the raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved what? The blackness of darkness forever. And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 8, 12. The sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, he's talking about hell. That's why you need to stay in church, bring your family to church, bring your kids to church, be a model to them, lead them, guide them, because there's a place called heaven. There's a place called hell. And we have to do everything we can to keep them on track 
And Jesus talked about this in Matthew 22:13. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now some people, it's kind of funny, they have the mentality that says, Well, when I go to hell, I'm just going to rock out with the devil, man. That's how some people think hell is. Absolutely not. It's a place of eternal torment. It's a place of absolute loneliness and darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an absolute separation from the presence of God's blessings and righteousness. And you don't have to go there. Some will say, well, why does God send anyone to hell? You don't, God doesn't send anyone to hell. You choose right here, right now, where you want to go. Some people don't like that. They're like, I don't like that. What? You're not God. He sent his son to die on a cross for you because he loves you. Sin separates us from the holy God. Our sins do. He made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And that's what we see here. Judas saying, listen, this is where these guys are going. You don't want to go that way. You know, number one, we see a description of these imposters Number two, we see the manipulation for position. I was wondering if you could go down to verse 16. And notice how these guys, they work it, man. These, it says in verse 16, these are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. And so you wonder, how do these guys make it to that place of being a teacher in the church? How do they end up, you know, on television? How do they end up as, as the pastor sometimes? How do they end up, you know, writing the book or whatever the case may be? And, and Peter, I mean, Jude here, he tells us how they do it with, first of all, their, their ungodly talk, their, their mouth, you know, their, their grumblers, uh, their, their complainers. And you might wonder, what are they grumbling about? What are they complaining about? Warren Wiersbe, he caught it perfectly. This is what he said. Warren Wiersbe said, The nation Israel was judged because of her complaining, and Christians are commanded not to complain. If a false teacher can make a person critical of his pastor or church or dissatisfied with his situation, he can then lead him astray into false doctrine. Now it's interesting the balance that we have. You know, uh, like I'm, we're, we're talking about here. You know, you got uh, uh, every man can be scrutinized by the word of God. So when you know the word, you can't be deceived by a pastor, right? But someone can come in and they can start criticizing with no valid reason. You know, kind of like um, I guess you could say an Absalom. Some of you might know the story of Absalom, but he went and he started criticizing David's leadership. He started saying, you know, David doesn't have time for you, but I do. Oh, if only I were king, things would be better. and That would be different. And basically starting to grumble and starting to murmur and starting to complain, right? And, and, and Jude says that's what these guys are doing. He says not only with their mouth do they grumble and complain, but they speak great swelling words. And so now we've got this vocabulary, this oratory, you know, and you know, they're, they're trying to sweep the people away in their direction. And yet Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, listen, knowledge puffs up. If it's just a bunch of fancy words, you know, or you know a lot, not knowledge puffs up, 
But love, it builds up. And so this is one thing that I would, I would share with you. When, when, who we are and who we aspire our leaders to be, really look at, let, let it be love. Let it be them speaking the truth in love. Because that's what these guys, they were not about that. Another thing they do with their mouth, besides the murmuring and the complaining and the swelling words, it, it says right there is that they're flatterers. Verse 16. Notice again, they're grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to do what? To gain advantage. I'm going to undermine the work that's going on here with my mouth. I'm going to get some leverage here. I'm going to gain advantage here. Sometimes people don't even realize that that's what they're doing because the enemy is working through them. And so we're, we're, we're aware of this. Jude says, listen, this is their practice. And he mentions not only their ungodly you know, talk, but then their ungodly walk. These guys, all they're doing is they're walking according to their own lusts. And so that, that they're out there. You know, thank God. I, I mean, I, I'm not saying we have a perfect church, but we are blessed with the people that we have. But man, if you guys ever see something weird, if you ever see someone weird, tell us, man. I will send Henry after him right away, just like that. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of business. And you know, thank God, we do have guys that will protect, Okay. Because this is God's, you're God's sheep. You're God's people. We love you. And sometimes I'm concerned about this or that, or I wonder if that, you know, they're, they're okay, you know, and, and we're just doing our best because as shepherds, we're called to protect the flock. And so this is what Jude is talking about right here. Contending earnestly for the faith, contending for the church. Jude is juding judo, right? He's fighting for the people. You know, what we have here is a description of these impostors. We have the manipulation for position. And then the third thing, we go back and see the proclamation of their punishment. And when you read Peter and Jude, he seems to be making this an emphasis. These guys are going to get judged. Look again at verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness Forever, He's telling them that there's a reservation, right, for punishment. And then in verse 14, he says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And so all these guys, you know, think about it, that are in it, you know, they're prophets for profit, they're in it for the money. All these guys, you know what, there's a hot spot in hell for them. All these child molesters that won't repent, Imagine their torment forever. May you fear God. If there is anyone here who has any thoughts of hurting children, may you fall to your knees now and ask Jesus Christ into your heart. 
Because there is a place for the ungodly. There is a place of judgment that is dark and deep, and it's the wrath of God. And this is the way they're going. You know, Jude uh, here talks about Enoch, who was the seventh from Adam. And it's interesting because Enoch, when you, when you read you know, the Old Testament, we don't know a whole lot about him. But we do know that Enoch was the one who walked with God and was not, for God took him. So he's a picture of the rapture of the church. He's also mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 that it's because of his faith and he pleased God. He had this testimony, so God raptured him. So he didn't die. And it's a really fascinating story. He walked with God for 300 years. God took him. And so before he died, however, apparently he was a prophet. And he said, God's coming. God's going to come. God's going to judge. And most theologians believe that what, that what happened with Enoch happens a lot in the Bible is that more than likely he was speaking to his generation that the judgment was coming and the flood did come. But just as we often see in the Bible, there's a secondary fulfillment, which is the primary fulfillment. And what that is, is that in the last days, the Lord would come with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment. Because Enoch prophesied about these guys, about these false teachers that Peter is talking about and Jude is talking about, and that we see today. You know, and what we find is that the Lord is coming, and it's interesting, uh, Revelation talks about the fact he's coming on a white horse with a sword in his mouth. And uh, right here it says he comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now in the Bible vernacular, ten thousands is just the highest number that they had. And so just a, a plethora of saints. Some say that this is not just um, angels. It might include angels but it includes us. Because if you guys are Christians, you're going to get raptured up. We're going to be there with the Lord, and then uh, we're going to come back with him on those white horses. The Bible talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And then there's another passage in Revelation 19:14. It says, And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now the ones clothed in white linen are the ones clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Have you ever ridden a horse into battle? Get ready. <laughs> Because we're coming with him and he's going to execute judgment on all these ungodly people. You know, it's before all this happens, the Lord, he reaches out time and time again. You know, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I, I pray that you would make a decision to follow him. He loves you. He died for you on a cross. We're not talking about religion we're talking about a relationship that you can have with God. And so don't play church. You know, don't, don't mess around. You know, when I was uh, 22 years old, I was addicted to drugs and, and all the other stuff, alcohol. I, I cussed a lot, a lot, like a sailor. You guys would never believe that about me, huh? I trip out on today how they have replacement words. Have you guys noticed that? I think that's cussing too, just in case you think you can get off on a technicality. Well, I just use the word, and I don't even want to say it. I mean, F-R-I-G-G-I-N. What's that? 
What does C-R-A-P stand for? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But man, I would just say that when I got saved, the Holy Spirit just came into my life. When I got saved, he lifted me up and I floated for two weeks and I experienced the perpetual presence of God. It was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle in my life. And if you're here and you have not yet experienced that miracle... What are you waiting for? Jesus loves you and he died for you. And I just pray that you would know all you have to do is believe and receive. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So that's where it starts, you know, first. You know, it doesn't have to be some emotional experience. It doesn't have to be, you know, stars or dazzling. If you can hear what I'm saying and if you can understand my words, then I believe that's the Holy Spirit. And he's calling you to make a choice. Jesus said this, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground. If you confess me before my Father, before the people, I will confess you before my Father and the angels. But if you deny me before man, Jesus said, I will deny you before my Father and the angels. So where do you stand? Are you for Jesus or against him? because there's no middle ground.